listening to Take Note on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7. I'm Matt Byrne. And I'm Josiah Tagoda. I'm John Schaefer. We have a guest today, John Schaefer, and it's his birthday. Let's go. I don't believe it. Um, frankly, it's not his birthday, but that was just too much fun to not. I hope you had as much fun as we did. <laughs> the noise maker. Hearing that. Crazy. Yeah, yeah John Schaefer, um, much like our uh, previous guest, Charlie Miggins, is a dear, dear friend of Matt and mine. Matt and mine's. Mines That's and proper. Matt's. And so, but he's a, he's a local expert at, at a, little, a little old thing called classical music. John, what is classical music? Um, <laughs> generally speaking. <laughs> what, what a question. I mean, I would say classical music is anything from the Renaissance era through kind of the Romantic era. I mean, there's multiple movements nowadays that kind of perpetuate the themes from classical classic music. But even the name classical music is a bit of a misnomer. Um, I can't remember the exact dates, but I think classical music ranged from about 1800 to 1890. Um, but then within, no, it was actually earlier than that. It was like 1750 to 1850. And then out of that came romanticism. And then there was mm, contemporary that came after romanticism to a degree. When you think of classical music, you think of large orchestral arrangements with strings. You think of opera. You think of symphonies. You might think of oratorios if you're thinking of Handel. And then like some of the most famous classical and quotation mark composers range from Bach to Mozart to Handel to Debussy to Rachmaninoff to Liszt. Part of what we'll do on the show today is play some of those pieces for you and discuss them to a degree and just why they had such an effect and why they stick with us today. If I could just interject in a word, could you explain to me how we went from someone like like one of those great, someone like a Bach, right, in the classical era to someone like a Drake. Just in a word, though. It's like short and concise. One word. One, one word, word, maybe. One word. Phones. Phones. So true. And that's facts. The way he said that, too, it made me convinced that that was actually true. That's rhetoric for you. Wow. Yeah. Well, there it is. What, um, how, many, uh, how many are we playing today? How many clips? We got two. Um, you mm. mentioned Bach. So we'll do the G, um, cello suite in G major, which... As you said, there's like multiple kinds of like arrangements. When, I mean, when I think of classical music, I think of big, like, you know, I don't know what the, the one is called, like, the, bah, 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 like that kind That's of thing. a Beethoven piece. Yeah. But this is literally just a cello, as far as I know. Yep. Which is kind of cool. Focus is on the music. It's one instrument. There aren't even chords being played. It's just one note at a time. But that's what's so crafty about Bach. He manages to, to tell a story with one note at a time. I think it's pretty beautiful. So why don't we uh, take a listen to Cello Suite Number 1 in G Major. So that was just like 
30 seconds of um, Yo-Yo Ma's rendition of the cello suite. Shout out Yo-Yo Ma. An interesting thing about Yo-Yo Ma, I mean, he's considered to be the best musician alive. Actually? Yes, he is the best musician alive. And so people of any instrument of any musical orientation will go to him and take lessons from him. And in high school, when I was in band and learning about music and how to practice and things like that, one of the things that we focused a lot on is tuning, especially when you're in a large ensemble, tuning is so important. Mm-hmm. And Yo-Yo Ma would spend like 10 minutes tuning each individual note on his cello even before he began practicing. He would make sure that thing was perfect. And I mean, you can hear just the emotion and that level of perfection in his playing. I mean, he pours his heart and soul into all of his playing and he's able to make that cello sound like a human voice um and that's another beautiful thing about the cello too is just how akin it sounds to a person singing um through it's it's a very emotive instrument and i don't think any other instrument even like a violin or a viola is able to convey that humanity as well as a cello is so beautiful piece yo-yo ma is awesome and why do you think that is? Because I was thinking at, at first when you said that it's not a fretted instrument, which means you can play notes that basically don't exist in the 12-note in the scale. And so you can have like slides and you can vibrato more. And whereas like with a guitar, obviously you can bend, but on an electric bass, there's like you, you can only play 12 different notes, obviously mm-hmm. at various pitches. And so what do you, it, because a violin the same frettedness as a cello like they both don't have frets so they have that mm-hmm. ability for emotiveness but what do you think is different about the cello maybe well i think and this is a little biased although i will preclude myself by saying i'm not a tenor but the greatest singer of the 20th century leading into the 21st century was Pavarotti, and he was a tenor and the cello shares the same exact range as a tenor male voice um And there is just something so thrilling and so kind of euphoric about hearing an incredible tenor sing. I mean, you listen to like Nessundorna. That makes me cry every time. No joke. Um, And I think the cello lining up very well with those same exact notes. There's something about those notes. And I don't think it's purely scientific that just hits a person differently than anywhere else in the range of pitches. Um, And so I think that could be part of it. I think also just the the resonance of it, it carries much better than a violin does just by nature of its size. Um, it's able to produce more sound, and so I think that could be part of it too. Mm, that's a good point about, like, there are certain pitches the human ear can hear, whether they're too high or too low, so I, I feel like that may definitely have something to do with that, like, that happy medium between, like, a really low instrument and a really high instrument. So, yeah, it's interesting how the, the cello is that tenor voice. I didn't know that. Does the body, like, <clears throat> have certain frequencies that it will like resonate with more than anything else. You know how like certain things will like vibrate at a certain frequency, like it hits that certain One, frequency at which something vibrates. Like, does the human body have a discernible frequency at which it will like vibrate along with the? Yeah. One thing that um, Professor Holloman, who is the former head of the music department, he still teaches here at Hillsdale, but he came into our music theory class. I think it was theory. It could have been advanced music and talked to us about. I think it was a harp maker in the area who will like tap trees, like hit them and listen for like the sound that those trees make. And then 
use that composition when he's creating these instruments because he knows which frequencies like each part of the tree like resonates better at no there's no way dude that's Mm -hmm. crazy Mm -hmm. and then i feel that the same is probably true in the human body i mean when i'm singing there are certain notes that when i sing them well i will get like a buzzing in my head and it will like kind of echo and i'll feel like weird and spacey during that time that's crazy though interesting that's such an interesting thing i've never thought about that mm -hmm. all i know is the snare drum in the practice room resonates when I hit the G on the, <laughs> on the bass. Yeah, that's insane, dude. Yeah. It, like, do different parts of your body resonate differently? I like, genuinely don't know. And I, I, wa- I don't know if that's part of your physicality. I don't know if that's part of your brain, if it's hitting, or it could be your inner ear, or if it's something, like, deeper within a person that's really, like, responding to that. But The soul frequency. Mm-hmm. It, it's, a, it's a really cool phenomenon. And the same is true... Um, also, when deciding a person's like vocal range, um, my mom's a voice teacher, and she's told me multiple times that a person's physical composition tends to like decide their range. And certainly, a person's range can be trained to a degree through better technique and things like that. But a person's size is really predictive of how high they're going to be able to sing. A smaller man is going to be more likely to be a tenor. Whereas a much larger guy who's more big boned is more likely to be a bass. Um, and it's not a rule, but, or I'd say it's probably a rule, and, but there are certainly exceptions to it, but those exceptions just prove that rule. Dude, you guys got to listen to me. Okay. You got to humor me on this point. I got you. We need to figure out a way, like do it, conduct a scientific study to figure out at what frequency each like part of the human body <laughs> vibrates with and then we will compose something together that and it'll be called playing the human body all right and each movement of the song is gonna like target a specific part of the body to vibrate that would be crazy would that that's got to exist like if that's true there's no way someone in history hasn't already done that i guess like scientifically well but again like oh here's the question if i'm like six eight and like mm-hmm. 300 pounds yeah do would I vibrate on different frequencies? I probably would, right? Probably. Or is it like the actual makeup, like composition? But again, of... like I was saying, I don't know if it's your body that's vibrating or if it's like your soul. You know, Damn. like what part is affected? Because music Dang. is such a weird experience, and like it's mathematical. But even talking to my philosophy professor the other day, Doctor Cole, about math, he says math is not entirely physical nor metaphysical. It's this weird in between. And if music is so strongly based off of this, I wonder if it's like, yeah, whoa, if it's like whoa, this whoa. dual effect kind of thing. Dude, it's hold cool. on. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Yeah, I, I think it's similar to math, although it is mathematical in that point that it's neither metaphysical nor physical. It's like music pre-exists humans because it's mathematical in the, in the same way that math pre-exists humans, but also would never manifest if it wasn't understood. Technically speaking, doesn't exist unless we perceive it because how does that work? Yeah, I mean, are musical truths, like, discovered? Is anybody actually, like, composing? <laughs> right. Or do we just, like, do we find them, you the know? mathematical, yeah, is math made yeah. or is it discovered? Is yeah. music made or discovered? Well, but, and I mean, the other thing I'd say, like, proving the point that it's maybe discovered is, like, think about a bird and how a bird sings and how a bird mates and communicates and how that affects other birds and how mm. this music is almost a primitive kind of thing. Yeah, it's, like, almost ingrained in its... But that has to be some, to some extent like evolution. Yeah. Right? So. yeah. I think it's also different cultures have different scales. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard like music from other 
parts of the world, but they they don't obey our twelve note scale. Yeah, um, Eastern countries tend, or not tend to, but will use like semitones, which are crazy. And a lot、mm-hmm. of times, like people from Western countries don't think the music sounds as nice because we are literally just not accustomed to those sounds. So there's a degree of kind of naturalization that it takes before you're able to listen to music, and I think that's part of the reason that like parents don't like rap music and things like that, and it, why it sounds so bad is because literally they were raised on a completely different form, and it sounds harsh to them because it's contrasting with the ways in which they enjoy music. For those of you just joining us, you are listening to Take Note on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Matt. I'm Josiah. I'm John. And we're talking about classical music. And we just listened to Bach's Prelude in G Major.、Um, but why don't we take a turn and listen to a piano piece by Debussy, very well known, called Claire de Lune. It's one of the most beautiful pieces ever written. So it's very different, obviously, from. What Bach did with just one instrument, one cello—that's that's one note being played at a time. But here you have so much more versatility in what you can play, and so there's so many more options. But how he crafts this so well is just—it's so interesting to hear. Before you before you play it, everyone listen to this song. You can do this at home. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if any of my if my brain starts resonating with the frequency. Here's what's gonna happen. All right, we're doing we're conducting a test, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, continue. Beautiful, ain't it? <laughs> I'm pretty sure my left toe was frequ- was frequencying, vibrating.、Um, which、go. which left toe, if I may ask? The one that's on my left foot. The one, the、toes. only one that's、oh, okay, that my left.、Okay. I said that I yeah, yeah. didn't stutter. My left foot. Okay, okay, okay. I didn't want to. Exp-、uh, yeah, my bad. No, you're good. It's just、Exposed、really sensitive topic. Just as you go to have one left toe, dude. Don't say that, dude. Take it back. Sorry, we'll cut that out. Thank you.、Yeah. Um, dude, can I? Can I? This is somewhat of an embarrassing story, but I was like, I recognize this from somewhere. This is just the most me thing of all time. There's a um, there's like a lo-fi mix song that I always listen to. That it's that, but like remixed into a lo-fi yeah, with a beat, which I love. I listen、yeah. to it all the、yeah. time. But it's called Distant Moon.、Mm. Um, okay. But I was like, why does it sound so similar?、And、I was like, oh my gosh, I've been listening to a lo-fi version of this、mm. for like years. That's really while、funny. I study. 
yeah. just had no idea. Literally, oh yeah, of course. I knew it was like sampled. Okay, yeah. but I didn't know what it was. But yeah, now I know. Nice. I mean, so we listened to our Bach cello suite earlier, and then we just listened to this. And some of like the biggest contrast between the two. And remember, Bach is classical, and or even Baroque. He was Baroque classical, kind of a bridge between the two to a degree. And then Debussy was very much a romantic or an impressionist. And one of like the biggest stylistic differences you can tell between the two is kind of the precision with the Bach. I mean, it is perfectly within time. It's just one, two, three, four. And like Yo-Yo Ma is incredible and he's very much able to keep you engaged throughout that with um, the way he makes the cello sing. Whereas with the Claire de Lune, there is a very strong presence of rubato, which is kind of a freedom of slowing down where things are kind of outside of time and you can decide where and when you want to play notes with some freedom. I mean, obviously you can't just be like, duh, and just wait an hour and then play the next note. I mean, maybe you could. I personally would not recommend. It's like a mm-hmm. um, extreme art form. Exactly. And so I personally prefer romantic over precision it could be my anti-authority tendencies i don't really know <laughs> anarchist <laughs> yeah no not at all but i mean it just it feels very human because humans aren't perfect you know um mm-hmm. it feels mm-hmm. very much like it's like you couldn't put it to a metronome no you can't i mean but you can't put a person to a metronome there's no single defining one two three four of a person you know um mm-hmm. and it also just I feel like it allows for more artistic creativity on the part of the performer. And I myself am very performance oriented. I'm not very inclined towards music theory and such. Not at all to hate on it. My brain just doesn't work well that way. But I love performing. And so to give the performer the ability to play that piece to a degree how he likes and to make the areas that he himself has learned from other pieces and playing, like make those stand out more, is just a really cool thing. I will note that when I was practicing this piece at home, my mom would talk to me about it and help me through sections because she went to school for piano. And she told me that her piano instructor would not let her play this song because so many people play it and they all play it wrong, he said, (laughs) because it wasn't in time. Everybody wants to take it outside of time. And as cool as it is to take it outside of time, I think there is also a degree of qualification you have to reach before you're allowed to do such a thing. I don't think you can be any random high schooler going around being like oh yeah this part needs to be slow um i remember that like <laughs> the famous maxim but like the uh first get the facts straight and then bend them yep. to your will or whatever yeah yep. yeah people just like go for it oh yeah this is what it needs to sound like yeah and it's like but that's weird though like i'll say that's weird only because like music is subjective to to some degree like Actually, I don't know how true this is. I was gonna say like music is like poetic in some sense. Like the meaning of poetry oftentimes is like personal. Like mm-hmm. you get something out of it, or you get a certain feeling out of it. You get a certain enjoyment out of it. And I wonder how much uh, something like that kind of music is up to. Like, yo, know, how much do you want to bend it to your will? Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess it does. Like you said, kind of require certain co- and uh, I mean, qualification to do that. But it's almost like a kind of constitutional interpretation question oh, where you're yeah. like living like mm-hmm, whether it should be affected by more more new cultural norms or whether you should be playing it the way the composer intended it and you know it's, it's a it's an interesting question and i think there's not a super strong consensus amongst piano players um about which way to play i think 
the highest level do tend towards playing it in the way they believe the composer intended it to be played. But I don't necessarily always find those to be like the most interesting either. Um, mm-hmm. And that goes for other genres too. I mean, I'm a huge fan of jazz and a lot of their, I mean, I don't want to say spiel, but like a, a central aspect of jazz is, is swing. And so swing is like not playing outside of time, but playing behind the beat a little bit and kind of stretching how far off the metronome you can go. And that, that's part of the feel of jazz is, is the swing. And so it's not always about getting it exactly right. It's doing it in a tasteful way that's almost like moving boundaries. Well, and the technical way to play swing that I learned in high school is to think of it as a triplet with the first two notes combined of the triplet. And mm. so it's like a two-third time. And I think humans tend to work pretty binarily, like ones and twos, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's hard for us to work in that group of three because threes are imperfect. You can't divide something into three perfectly, you know? Prime number. Yep. Um, and so as a result of that, like Matt was saying, you are given a lot of freedom in the ways in which you swing within jazz. Um, and that leads to all sorts of different styles. I mean, modern jazz sounds very different than Miles Davis did or Louis Armstrong. And it's not at all a bad thing, it just is. And cultural norms change a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Um, thanks for coming on, John Schaefer. Everyone, Thank you, John. A round of applause. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Wish him a happy birthday when happy you see him. Day.